Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Into My Path podcast. My name is uh, Howard Sides. I am your host today. Um, well, I guess you could say I'm your host every day. I'm if it's this on, but anyway, uh, it has been a couple of weeks. There, there's been some things going on, and I've just kind of um, got busy on some projects out in the wood shop and and that sort of thing. But we're back today. And uh, I had, on uh, Easter Sunday morning, uh, in Sunday school, I, I kind of went a different route than just following, you know, we've been studying through the book of Revelation. But today, uh, I'm going to cover this lesson we had on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, so if you want to turn to Psalms chapter 40, and verse number 2 is where our text will be from today. And uh, I wanted to uh, mention especially... Uh, to lift up prayer for a dear young lady in our church. Her name is uh, Maddie Mitchum, M-A-D-I, Maddie Mitchum. Uh, of course, it's short for Maddie, but they call her, she goes by Maddie. And, and the only reason I mention her name is, is uh, if you want, you can go and find her Facebook page. It is Strong Maddie Moo. That's her nickname, Maddie Moo, M-O-O, prayer page. Strong Maddie Moo, prayer page. Uh, she is 14 years old, I, I do believe. I think she's 14 now. Um, she was, two years ago, diagnosed with brain cancer. And as, as far as I know, I guess you could label it terminal brain cancer. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I do know uh, this specific type of cancer she had, um, she was the eighth person to ever have it. All of the other seven uh, passed away much earlier than she has. She has by far gone the longest. Well, she's had issues. Um, this past week, they pretty much took her back to Duke Hospital uh, here in North Carolina on the university, of course. And... Uh, they uh, pretty much said that there's nothing else they could do for her. And so they brought in the family. Uh, they've been praying over her. And, and I got to tell you, it moves me. I'm, I'm 53 years old. And don't ever tell me that we can't learn from our young people. This girl has reached so many lives through what she's gone through and through the way she's lived her life, through, of course, her church, her family, her school, which is, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's Randleman High School. It may be Randleman Middle School is where she was for the most part, but I think she's in high school this year. And to look on this webpage, Strong Maddie Moo prayer page, and see, every day this week, she's um, had a color uh, that she wanted to represent. And I, most of you know, if, if you dealt with anyone with cancer, uh, different kinds of cancer have a color um, with them. I, I know right off the bat, many know that breast cancer is pink. Um, but she's had different colors. And today being Thursday is, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> today being Friday is orange. But if you go and look on her webpage, and see the volume 
of of the responses that she's getting from other schools, from uh, doctor's offices, from um, communities, and wow, I mean, really, it's overwhelming, and it breaks my heart. Um, she is the daughter uh, of a very close friend, and and we hurt with them, not in that she's passing away. Uh, I, it's hurting because of the pain she's suffering. I hate it for that. Um, I think about it all the time. Here she is. She's 14 years old, and she is ready to go. She is ready to go meet her Savior. And I have no doubt that this girl knows who her Savior is. Um, I talked to her pastor. He went and saw her um, last Saturday. And, and you know, even he was just talking about how how she's upholding herself. And it's just amazing. Um, my daughter happens to work there in that hospital. And a friend, of a very close friend of hers, um, they would not talked about her at all. Um, but she made mention that, that my daughter made mention that she had talked to her friend and who works in the emergency room and was there the day that Maddie was admitted. And she was telling my daughter, she's like, you would just not believe the, the impression this girl had on everybody uh, that when she came through the emergency room and everybody kind of, you know, found out what was going on that, you know, this is probably the last time she'd be through there. Uh, that it just created a somber effect through that entire emergency room. Now, listen, I, I know what you're thinking. Well, it's because 14-year-old. No, you, you got to realize that this is a major hospital unit. I mean, you're talking Chapel Hill and, and Durham. Uh, the, these are big hospitals in this area, and they have seen the worst of the worst. I mean, people get airlifted into these hospitals, okay? And... You know, that they're used to this stuff. But here's this girl, and it's not because of the disease she has. It's because of the Savior she has. And it just blows my mind to think of the number of people that this girl has reached for God. I mean, you think about uh, the people in her class, the people in her school, the people in her community, and, and listen, each day it started, uh, what was it? The, I think the first day was purple. And the whole entire town of Randleman, it seemed like, uh, was donned out in these purple balloons. I mean, not everywhere, but the, the, in these roundabouts, it's right there at the school, it's right there you know, at the Walmart. Everybody goes by this roundabout. Uh, they put balloons up there. The, uh, the, the whole class... Not 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 like a fifty person. But I mean, it was hundreds of kids, from what I could tell. Uh, all had on these purple shirts, supporting this girl in their school. And you know that all 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 week this week they're all thinking about her, and and they keep going through the different. And of course, the school colors are blue and orange. Uh, blue was the second day. The uh, no, let me take that back. Hot pink was the second day. Blue was the third day. Orange was the fourth day. Uh, it's amazing to me. I, I am just literally blown away by this young girl. And I wish, I wish I'd have half the effect that she's had. And her uncle, um, and well, she's got two uncles. 
and they're both close friends. One of one of them, uh, we've probably been in contact much longer than than the other one's moved out of town a little bit. But uh, he's on his page made mention that she told him that as long as one person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, it was worth all of this. A fourteen-year-old girl is saying this. I, I'm just I'm just amazed. You've got to go check this web page out. And if somebody out there, I don't know who who listens to this I, or, or who does. I know at one time she was supposed to go to the, uh, uh, oh, who was it? She was going to a concert this weekend with uh, uh, Taylor Swift. There we go. Yeah, I think she's in Charlotte or somewhere if I heard right. I don't know. Uh, but there was a group of people trying to contact some of Taylor Swift's people to let her know Maddie's situation. You know, maybe she could stop by for one her concert this weekend or something. I don't know. Uh, it looks like she's probably going to be in the hospital until it's over. They're, they're talking about they were at one time going to uh, induce her with drugs to put her in sleep just to let her ride, ride on out. Um, and then... <laughs> The family got to come in and, and say their goodbyes, and it seems like she's held on. Uh, so they backed off the drugs a little bit to give the family time to come in, and, and, and she'd be conscious, you know, when she talks to them. Um, and and then I believe the last I heard yesterday was uh, they're even now talking about possibly letting her go home under uh, hospice care. Uh, th this girl is redefining everything everybody knows about this this cancer and toleration of pain. I'm not saying she doesn't have pain. I'm just saying this this girl is on another pl plateau, another level somewhere. But anyway, okay, all right. So many prayers, many many prayers going out for Maddie Mitchum. Uh, honey, we love you. Um, we are encouraged by you. We are strengthened by you. And this is one old man <laughs> that can say I'm truly humbled by you. What an impact this girl's had on some people's lives. And in today's lesson, I want to talk about the Lord who, <laughs> who has had the biggest impact on my life. And um, the week leading up to Easter, I, it was a combination of me thinking about the song, I Just Want to Thank You, Lord. Um, and the the song was, uh, it, it's been around for a long time, but the um, version that I was really uh, listening to is, is by the Powells. I uh, really like the Powells. It's, it's a family group. Uh, great harmony in that group, and uh, I don't know, I, I was just listening to it that way, and, and it just kind of stood out, but then the other was, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly uh, where it was, but one, one of the podcasts we listened to, me and uh, a couple of my boys and, and a couple of their friends were all together in the same little, I guess you call it a chat room or text room, I don't know what you call it, but anyway, uh, we, we share a lot of these sermons we hear, and we've got uh, to where we listen to quite a few of, of, of the 
sermons from this guy. He's a local guy. Uh, his name is Cody Zorn, Z-O-R-N. Um, and I, I'll tell you, um, this guy could preach. I, there's preachers out there that can really preach. I enjoy listening to this guy because of the history and the study uh, that this guy puts into it. Uh, he he loves history. It seems like he likes history like I do, and so he puts a lot. But it, and he was and he went back and used a a local church here. I, I know a lot of times those those of us that are true believers, there's not many times you can go back and say um, <laughs> something good about a local church unless it's the one you're a part of. I, and and listen, I'm not being facetious here or obnoxious either one. You know what I'm saying. There's just not that many good churches around. But but he was referencing this church in a historical uh, reference, and, and it's Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Sandy Creek Baptist Church over in Liberty, North Carolina. I probably live, what, five miles from this place. And I've never actually went inside. I know about it. I've been by it. I've, the grandparents of Maddie... Uh, who I just mentioned, uh, live right across the street and about 200 feet up the road from it. So, and we've been over there quite a many times. So, um, it's a, and, and on the other street that goes down the side of it, uh, it's across the street from the middle school where all four of my kids went. So, yeah, um, very familiar with this place. And I'll, uh, Okay, I don't want to get too far into it, but he was preaching it and used that as a reference. And and, and I kind of put them two together. And I, I just wanted to take that Sunday school class on Easter morning. Uh, now, now this sounds a lot like a Thanksgiving type thing, uh, thanking the Lord and all that. But listen, uh, we should be thankful all the time. And I, I just, it, God really worked on me that week and it, it just moved me. And, and so I'll put this podcast, uh, use this podcast to, just kind of put my notes out there that I had. And, and maybe it, it was something that stirs something up in you, okay? All right, so we'll read our passage, Psalms chapter 40 and verse 2, and we'll get into it. All right, verse 2. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Uh, if you've been in church any amount of time, I'm sure somewhere... Uh, along the way, you've heard this passage. Uh, it's a very famous, I guess you'd say, Psalm of David. Uh, he was in trouble. And the only way he could get out of this trouble was for God to make a move. Uh, it's more than obvious David could not affect any change on his condition. It had to be the Lord to make a move. And in this verse, uh, there's three things that I want to point out. And we'll we'll discuss each one, but I'll give you the points here. First of all, we see where God pulled me out. He pulled me out is the first thing we see. Second, he planed me out. And I'm using a woodworking reference, like a planer. He planed me out. Third, uh, he pointed me out. He pointed me out. All right, so there's your three points in this verse. Uh, the first part of that verse, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He pulled me out. He pulled me out. Now notice here, like I just said a minute ago, God had to come to where, uh, David was to get him out of his mess. And most of the times that it happens to us 
it's even the same way with us, Christian or not. When we get in a mess, uh, we get hard-headed. Uh, we want to fight our way through and don't even hardly realize most of the time that we're even stuck in the first place. But once we find us in this pit and we're down in this miry clay, we're stuck. Now, you can see the picture in your mind here that as David is trying to express this position that he's in, uh, it seems like the harder David fought his position, the more stuck he became. And that miry clay, that does that to us. Now, the word here, horrible, uh, is the Hebrew word she'on, she'on, and it means a roar as of water, or an uproar or clash of revelers or war. Uh, it's a calamity of, of, of a noise that, that inflicts pain uh, when you hear it, like fingernails scratching on a chalkboard type thing, okay? Horrible. It's exactly the idea that it's per trying to get across to us. Uh, this pit that it mentions here, if it's a pit, uh, you notice that it probably or most likely had to be a pit that was dug out by someone intending to trap their prey. It was a trap that was set. Now, there are natural pits, obviously, uh, but it, that it has this miry clay in it and that it captures him. The, the You kind of get the idea and, and spiritually speaking, that's what happens. Uh, Satan lays these traps out in front of us, and we walk right into this pit, and we're stuck because that clay just holds us in there. And, and speaking of that clay, this miry clay is the Hebrew word yavin, yavin, and it means dregs, D-R-E-G-S, dregs. And it comes from the word yayin, which means to ferment, like you let grapes ferment to make a wine. It makes an alcoholic beverage. So this miry clay means fermented dregs. And, and the description of fermentation here tells us that David had been there long enough as he had almost started to rot. Even though he was alive, uh, it was like he had started to rot. And that's what fermentation is. It's the rotting of the fruit of the grape to make it sour and turn alcoholic to begin that fermentation process. Okay, so we see that he pulled me out. Uh, number two, we see that he planed me out. Uh, the second part of verse two, it says, and set my feet upon a rock. He set me. And if you know anything about a planer, uh, you use a planer on a piece of wood uh, to level it out, to get the surface smooth. Uh, sometimes when you cut a board, if you leave it sitting for a while, uh, and through the process of drying out, uh, through weathering, uh, a board will begin to warp. It, it just through the contracting and and, and uh, expounding or as you call it, whatever, and and the sap in this tree uh, or in this board drawing out as it's drying, uh, and it takes a long time. Uh, usually for about an inch of wood, it needs to dry about a year to get all of the sap out of it. So. Uh, and, and then when you take this wood and you're going to use it for a piece of furniture or, or something else, uh, many times you'd have to, of course, we've got these industrial machines now that do it, but they're, they're planers. Uh, and, and that's what you do. You'd run it through this machine a couple of times back and forth, and it smooths out the surface. It gets it completely flat, and it straightens out that board. But you know what really happens? It's not taking this board 
and pressing it out flat and making it straight. It, it's cutting off the round parts. Uh, if the board is warped in the middle, this bowed out, it's going to shave it down. And on the edges sticking out the other way, it's going to shave them down until that board goes through and it's completely flat. It shaves it off. So that, that's a little bit different than what God does. But God takes us, and maybe sometimes he does. He has to shave off the, the, the evil flesh parts of us, spiritually speaking. Uh, maybe sometimes he does have to shave off the flesh physically to get our attention. Uh, he's certainly not above doing that. But this planing is, is the process of making a board straight. No matter how you do it, it, it gets it straight. Uh, now this word here, set, it's the Hebrew word kum. It's Q-U-M, kum. And it means uh, to cause to stand up. Now notice David was tired from fighting in this trap, in this horrible pit. He'd been in it long enough. Uh, he, had fought, he had been fighting against it. He was wore out. Uh, he could do nothing. So God had to basically pull him out. And then God had to give him the strength to stand on his own. That word set means it caused him to stand up. It caused him to stand up. David couldn't stand on his own. And so this planing effect is where God had to straighten him out to get him to stand up. And then it says it set, him, uh, set his feet upon a rock. Now that word rock in the Hebrew is selah. Now selah is a word that you hear as you read through Psalms quite a bit. Uh, and in reference to selah with an H on the end, uh, it's it's a word that means to stop and to think about these things. Now here the word sela is S-E-L-A and it means a lofty rock. A lofty rock. A stronghold of security. Now, if you picture in your mind you come across someone that's in one of these miry pits and they're trapped and they're hollering for help and you go to help them and let's say you go over there and you start tugging on this person, you start pulling on this person, and and as this miry clay lets them go, because it does, if you've been around any of this stuff, like the side of a, a pond or something like uh, you get your feet stuck in that stuff, it, it's very hard to get out. So if you're here and you're helping this person that's stuck, and you're pulling on them, you're yanking on them, you're pulling you're as hard as you can, you're wearing yourself out doing this. And finally, when you pull them free, uh, what happens? You both just kind of, in exertion, you just kind of lay back on the bank, uh, you know, and you're like, ooh, I'm glad that's over, you know. Uh, and and that I, that's about all the strength you've got. But in this process of planing David out, we see where God pulled him out and, and caused him to stand up. He gave him the strength to stand up straight and put him on this rock. And it's not just a rock on the edge of the, the pit here. It says it's a lofty rock. It, it's set up high. It's way up a, a, out of place of where this pit would be. Uh, if this pit being a trap, uh, you don't set this thing up on a mountaintop. You set it down in the valley. This pit is long, a long ways away from where this rock would be. God didn't just give him the strength to stand up. And God didn't just carry him or pull him out of this pit. God had to carry him to this place of where this lofty rock was. God didn't just set David on the edge of this pit in the act of rescuing him. He actually removed him to a new place altogether. He took him to a whole new place altogether. Okay, 
So he pulled me out and he planed me out. Third and final part of verse two, it says, and established my goings. Established my goings. He pointed me out. He pointed me out. Now the word established here is the Hebrew word kun, K-U-N, kun. It means to be securely and firmly erect, to be fixed, ready, and prepared. Established means to be securely and firmly erect. That means he had faith in his position. He had the energy in his position. He had the strength in his position. And he was ready. He was prepared. And then it says uh, his goings. That word goings is the Hebrew word ashur, A-S-U-R, ashur. It means footsteps. It's a metaphor for steps that are said to follow the footprints of God. Now, we've heard many metaphors about these footprints of God, uh, where he looked in the sand and saw uh, the footprints of uh, his footprints and then the footprints of God. And then there's the point where there's only one set of footprints. And the man says, well, God, in, in my hardest times where there's only one set of footprints, why did you abandon me? Why did you leave me? And God has to tell him, I didn't abandon you. Those single pair of footprints that you see are the moments that I carried you. I <laughs> carried you through your hardest points. And and the idea here about establishing his goings, um, you just see how David's pointing out how God rescued him. Um, he rejuvenated him and he revived him. Uh, uh, he, he done it all. David was just like there for the show. I mean, really, I mean, what could he do? Uh, it's amazing. And, and so we see that uh, what God does for us. And in knowing that and in, in looking at this verse, that's where I just wanted to thank the Lord uh, for the things he's done in my life. And, and maybe you can do it. Now, I've talked a little bit, first of all, about my place. Um, let me see. I thought I had another point here and I didn't really get to it. But anyway, um, the, the things I wanted about uh, my place, my people, um, and I forget what the other point is. Anyway, like I said, these weren't like, you know, um, very well put together notes. I, I just had thoughts and I, I just wanted to keep it light and, and keep it focused on what God had done, not getting a pretty lesson up and that sort of thing. So uh, that's just how it turned out. Now, first thing I thanked him for. Uh, was establishing and building our church. And when I said that, I, you know, I went into the fact of, the, uh, of a little bit of the history of the church. There had to be someone that came in that area uh, with the intent purpose of raising a church. Uh, it's not like you just show up and the church is already built. I mean, surely you know that, right? <laughs> Somebody has to be willing to sell the land. Uh, that's a hard thing right there off the bat. But someone had to be willing to sell the land uh, someone had to be willing to either donate it or buy the land. Uh, then someone had to uh, write out the plans, draw up the plans of what the church would look like. It may not be like what your church looks like today, but however it started, someone had to draw it up. Someone had to pay for the uh, the workers to do it as well as the materials. Uh, and then uh, God had to put all that thing together to allow them to do it. Not only that, 
but God had to deliver a pastor. Um, I, I love my pastor. I love my pastor. I mean, that, that's one of the, the main reasons that I'm in the church that I'm in now. Not, not just because I love him for the person he is. Uh, it's, it's because of his pastorship. Um, he has towed the line. He has stayed the course. And listen, don't think for a minute that I think he's perfect. I mean, in, in my eyes, he is. <laughs> okay. But and that, that is a dangerous place to be. But, but you know what I'm saying? I, I, I think he does it the right way. But does he fall? Of course he falls. But it's not in such a public way that, that it brings the church down. I mean, you know, we're all sinners. Uh, those of you that, that think pastors walk around and never commit sins, you got another thing coming. Um, I would even charge you that those who surrender to preach, those who surrender to teach, those who take any kind of a leadership role, uh, Satan's going to attack them more than they do the ones riding the bench. I mean, you know, why is he worried about you, right? So <laughs> that the ones who are actively um, participating, that's the ones he's going to be after. But uh, here he got in... Uh, I want I put together this this history behind um this Sandy Creek Baptist Church and I did it here uh I, I wasn't focusing so much on on my pastor uh but the history of this church it, it's about their pastor and the effect this church had in the community and I'm telling you that this whole time that this week uh, uh with all this stuff with Maddie um I kept thinking about this church and I'll tell you why. Right off the bat, and I'll, I'll mention it in here, uh, but this is the very first Baptist church in all of North Carolina. Let me say that again. Sandy Creek Baptist Church in Liberty, North Carolina is the very first Baptist church in all of North Carolina. Now, the pastor of this church was a man by the name of Shubal Stearns. Shubal, S-H-U-B-A-L, Shubal, very unique name, uh, Stearns, S-T-E-A-R-N-S, Shubal Stearns, and he lived from, he was born in 1706 and died in 1771. Now, if you'll note, this man never saw the American Revolution. This is how far back this man lived. Now, I, there's a lot of hist history, and it goes into what it, but I, I just kind of skimmed it over for, you know, to make it into this lesson. And so I'll do the same. I, I, yes, I missed a bunch of stuff that probably is important, but for where we're going, we hit the highlights, okay? Uh, Pastor Shubal Stearns, he was saved under the preaching of George Whitfield. Uh, if you don't know who George Whitfield is, uh, how about the Great Awakening? Do you ever recall hearing that? The Great Awakening. Uh, the Great Awakening was one of the most prominent revival movements in North America. Uh, there have been, I guess you would say, there's probably been maybe two that really stand out, but the Great Awakening is probably the biggest one. Uh, George Whitfield was probably one of the uh, seed planters of this movement. Um, 
Another one could be the the uh, message of uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was part of that movement. Uh, th th these were uh, incredible times to be living in. Uh, now, Whitfield had come into this area of North Carolina to preach and he had made mention that this area was a wilderness physically and spiritually and needed a man here. Well, enter Shubal Stearns. <laughs> Shubal Stearns, now he had lived in Connecticut, okay? Uh, I don't know where he was when he got saved under the preaching of George Whitfield. I'm sure it was in this Connecticut part of his travels. But in 1754, uh, Stearns and some of his followers moved south there. Now, Stearns had been saved. Um, his pastor, uh, I mean, his father was a pastor of the, uh, I believe you call it the Congregationalist Church. And and if you, I picture the idea of how the Puritans worship, you know, you know, very prim, very proper type thing. That That's what a lot of theirs was about. Uh, so he had a, a role in that. But anyway, uh, so he gets saved. He surrenders to preach. And he has a just unique calling on him. Uh, he he is he sees something in the message George Whitfield has on him, or, or, or God works through his life to put this man on the right track. This man had his goings established by God and only by God. You you just can feel it. In 1754, Stearns and some of his followers moved south to Opequan, Virginia. If I'm saying this right, Opequan, Virginia. Uh, at the time, on the western frontier. And you remember I told you, this this is all before the American Revolution, so this is still wild country. Very small plan uh, towns established. But here in Virginia, he joined uh, Daniel Marshall and his wife Martha, who was Stern's sister. Now here they both preached with great zeal and were accused of being uh, quote-unquote disorderly ministers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, all uh, right. In November the 22nd of the next year, 1755, Stearns and his party moved further south to Sandy Creek to build a new church. This party consisted of eight men and their wives, mostly relatives of Stearns. Sixteen people. Uh, he pastored this church until his death. The church quickly grew from 16 members to 606. The church members moved to other areas and started other churches. Uh, Morgan Edwards, a Baptist minister and historian who visited Sandy Creek the year after Stern's death, that would have been 1772 when he went and visited it, uh, recorded that, and I quote, In 17 years, Sandy Creek has spread its branches westward as far as the Great River Mississippi, southward as far as Georgia, eastward to the sea, being the Atlantic, and Chesapeake Bay, and northward to the waters of the Potomac. It, in 17 years, is become mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother to 42 churches which sprang, or from which sprang 125 ministers. End quote. So this little bitty church, Sandy Creek Baptist Church, the very first one in North Carolina, was the seed church to 42 other churches as far west as Mississippi, as far south as Georgia, as far north as, as the Potomac River and Maryland. That's where Washington, D.C. is, if you don't know that. 
125 ministers all came from this little bitty church out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, this church became the buckle in what is known as the Bible Belt. Yes, sir. Now, none of Stern's messages survived in writing, but his central theme was recounted as discussing the need for followers of Christ to be born again from within. At first, churchgoers in North Carolina found this a difficult concept who never thought of their religion as anything more than external. But Stern's style of preaching and emphasis on internal conversion were highly important to Southern religion. Faith, I should say. <laughs> he became the model for many other preachers who sought to copy his example down to the least gesture or inflection of voice. Stearns believed that God pours his spirit like water upon a new believer, requiring no special learning or instruction, and this outpouring swiftly became a flood that spread from Sandy Creek throughout all parts of the southern frontier. Now, his congregation were called the New Lights, and then Separates, and then finally Separate Baptists. Now, they were called the New Lights in part because they pointed the 2 Corinthians six seventeen, where it says, Be ye separate. Uh, and that means basically an example of being from the mainstream congregational church, which was then called the Old Light. So they were the New Light from the Old Light. Now, a plaque on the wall of the church um, has this statement, and, and I'll, I'll quote it for you here. Uh, the quote, The work of the separate Baptist was marked by several distinguishing characteristics. They were known for an untiring and unwavering zeal. Though cruelly persecuted, they continued to preach the gospel with fervor and success, bringing many souls into the kingdom of God. They were also known for their unique style of worship. Tears and shouts of affirmation were common in their services, and the attendance of the Spirit of God was evident in their midst. Baptist historian Morgan Edwards wrote, I believe a supernatural and invisible hand works in the assemblies of the separate Baptists, bearing down the human mind, as was the case in primitive churches. Ardent preaching was another characteristic of the separate Baptists. They went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them. And their warm delivery was also with raised voice and appealing gestures, yet was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. End quote. So there uh, is a little bit of the history on this church and the effects, the effects it had in a community uh, that ranged several states. Um, and that's what the local church is supposed to be. It's supposed to have an effect on the community. Um, and then from that point, um, I basically, you know, I was thanking God for the church, the building that he established. I was thanking him for the pastor that we had. And then I wanted to thank him for the people that he drew in uh, to be a body in this church. Now, of course, the church, when we mention that in the New Testament, it is talking about the people that make up the body of the church. It's the members. And we're all different. Nobody's alike. Uh, two may be alike, but you know what I'm saying. There, there's differences everywhere. And the reason behind that is it goes down to the basic structure of the creation of God. 
Why did God create man in the first place? If you go back and read the account in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis, God created man because he wanted someone to have fellowship with. That's all it comes down to. <laughs> That's the basic meaning. God created man to have fellowship with. Now, in the uh, ensuing uh, points of creating a man and a woman, uh, I'm by, by no stretch of the means an expert on this, but I think we can all agree God made man to be focused on the thinking in the head. He focuses on the head, whereas a woman focuses on the heart. Two do totally different menus, venues of thinking, okay, and how they approach every event. But through the uh, act of marriage, God brings them two together, a man and a woman, and they work together to achieve a common goal. And the way they do that is that they don't focus on each other, they focus on the Lord. <clears throat> and that is exactly how the local church works. Um, Paul mentions it in, in the book of Corinthians about all the gifts that were given. Um, some are, are powerful speakers, uh, such as preachers or teachers. Uh, some have the gift of praying. Some have the gift of giving. Uh, some have the gift of exhortation, you know, just lifting people up. It, it takes all kinds of people. And, and uh, I went through a couple of these and just thought, you know, hey, maybe you were focused on some of this. But God drew, drew people in by uh, one group he brought in was those who were blinded by sin. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he drew those in that were blinded by sin by being the light of the world. Um, I made mention of, if you know our church, uh, Red Cross Baptist Church, out on the uh, edge of the highway, we've got this big, huge white cross. In red letters, it says Jesus saves on it. That cross has been a light, and it has been a witness to this community for, uh, I don't know how long the sign's actually been there. But I have been a member of this church since 76, 1976, or along there. So it's, I know it's been there that long. <laughs> so still a long time. Uh, not only those blinded by sin, what about those burdened by sin? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Um, he calls these in by being the Prince of Peace. Uh, there's people, I, and, and it's all over the world, uh, that can give a testimony of, of this first example. Uh, they walked into a church or, or they met somebody. They didn't even know what they needed. They knew they were searching for something and he became that light that they needed. Uh, and then the second example, uh, many of them uh, are carrying a burden they don't even, uh, they're not even aware of. Uh, they're struggling. They don't understand why they're struggling, but then he becomes that prince of peace and, and through the act of salvation, uh, they realize that that burden's been removed. And then they realized there was a burden. That's just how it was. Some of them, uh, maybe they're hungry. They're searching for answers and, and, and they're just eager to find an answer and they just can't find it until they break through the church, the church doors and his pastor preaches a message. Maybe it's in John 6, 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. 
He fulfills that hunger by being the bread of life. Or what about those thirsting for something? He becomes the living water that satisfies their soul. John 4, 13-14, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And of course, he was telling this to the, the Samaritan woman, uh, the woman at the well. What about um, the chief caretaker? The chief caretaker. What, what about those that are frightened? Uh, some people are just scared. Uh, maybe through events that are going on that they, they have no control of. Uh, they're in a panic mode. And, and they know they need answers. They don't know where to turn. Uh, maybe they turn to a person that they knew was a Christian. And isn't that how it happens a lot of times? The, uh, sometimes people mock you for um, publicly saying you're a Christian and all this sort of thing. But the minute they run into trouble, uh, they know who to go to. It's inevitably within every human being, they know who to turn to. I, I don't know how that works, but that's the way it is. Matthew 6, 25 through 30. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. <clears throat> Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> what about if your life is a wreck and you have no direction and you go into a church and the pastor preaches a message uh, where he's the master of the sea? What manner of man is this that the winds and the seas obey his voice? Uh, Matthew eight twenty seven. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, here's a couple more. What about the good shepherd? John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Um, no security like knowing that the one who's looking out for you is looking out for you all the time. The good shepherd, that's who he says he is. Uh, what if you're sick or have health issues? Luke 5, 31, 32. And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is the great physician. He can heal everything that's wrong with us. Whether it Now, he is referring here to spiritual sickness, but Jesus, Jesus also healed people physically and <clears throat> being symbolic of the spiritual healing he provides as well in doing that. And that it eventually is what it is all about, the spiritual healing. He didn't heal them just to, just to heal their bodies. It all fed and focused on the spiritual aspect of it. But here's another one. And I call this, there's all these things, that, and I used to have a blanket. Man, I wish I still had it. I don't have it anymore. It was white with red trim on it. Uh, and it had all these titles of Christ, the great physician, the good shepherd, um, the chief cornerstone, 
uh, the light of the world, the Prince of Peace, the Bread of Life, the Living Water, all of these. And it had many, many more. I wish I still had it, but I, I don't. I think it kind of bled over and we just had to kind of get rid of it. It got old anyway. But there's one that I've never heard of before, uh, and I kind of threw it out here my, myself. What about these people <clears throat> who say they're not worth it? Um, and, and listen, a lot of people do think this way. Uh, when they're faced with the decision of accepting Christ, uh, Satan likes to throw, hey, you're not worth it. How could God save you? Look at what you've done, right? Uh, you've gone far beyond the measure of what Christ is willing to die for and accept as, as payment for uh, forgiveness. Uh, Satan likes to throw that stuff out there. But Paul, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he lets everybody know, for those who feel that they're not worth it, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. <coughs> Excuse me. So when Paul says Christ came into the world to save sinners, that's Pearl. He came to save more than one. And Paul then adds that phrase, of whom I am chief. And what he's saying is, he's not the worst that Christ saved. He is saying that he is the worst of all the sinners, and Christ still saved him. That's what he's saying. And, and he goes on and tells a little bit about his history. And if you read through the book of Acts, we know a lot about uh, what he was guilty of and what he did. And it's uh, some powerful stuff when you think that he says, of whom I am the chief. He's not saying that he's the worst that God saved. He is the the, the worst uh, committer of the sin, crimes of sin and all that, and God still saved him. That's what he's saying. So no matter what your position, no matter what your thoughts, no matter what you've done, your actions, God can save you and God will save you. And then I ended it by um, quoting some words from a song that I like. Um, the author of the song, I guess you'd say, the writer, uh, uh, arranger, I, I'm not sure how you, but anyway, it's, it's a lady named Abigail Miller. Abigail Miller. And again, this is a song that the Powells sing. Love their version of this song. Uh, I Can Go In. If you've never heard it, um, man, these are some powerful words. Uh, and I'll, I'll read them to you. Uh, he stood beside the gate of heaven waiting to go in. And he wondered how this holy place could take a man like him. With shouts of great rejoicing and with music, then they came. Of the angels standing by him, he asked what could be their name. These are the company of prophets, the goodly fellowship of souls, who spake God's word with faith and boldness, who blessed the poor and made the wounded whole. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I am not one of these. He waited till another band of shining ones drew nigh. They entered into heaven with a hallelujah cry. He asked again, who are these? Can you tell me whence they came? He seemed to see the answer in a burning tongue of flame. These are the company of martyrs, the mighty fellowship of saints, who knew our Lord and walked beside him, who ran the holy race and did not faint. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I am not 
one of these. <clears throat> then suddenly, a multitude was heard from far away. Their voices rang with songs of joy, like children at their play. He saw Rahab, he saw David, Mary Magdalene, and Paul. And then the thief who died by Jesus was the one who led them all. Who are these, he almost shouted at the angels. These are the sinners saved by grace. The host of them who called upon the Savior, washed in blood, and justified by faith. And oh, he leaped up from his knees. Oh, I can go in with these. Those are some powerful words. If you've never heard that song, uh, look it up by the Powells. Man, great harmony and a great message in that. And then they tie in redeemed in the chorus of that uh, in, a, in a refrain. And the words from the book, uh, the song Redeemed by William J. Kirkpatrick that we sing. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. That means his mercy never ends. His child and forever I am. Now, I know some of you are driving down the road listening to this podcast. Some of you are busy doing other things, mowing yards, whatever. I want to say that phrase again. Think about it. I want you to concentrate and think about what this means to you. His child and forever I am. If you're his child, you're forever his child. You'll never not be his child again. You'll always be his child. That, that's amazing right there. I just want to thank the Lord that I am his child and I forever will be. I am joint heirs with Christ and I'm in. I'm on the winning side. How many other songs could you include in this? I mean, they're all written about this. What are you thankful for today? I hope you're thankful for your salvation, for your church. I hope you're thankful for the people in your church. And I hope you're thankful for what God's done in your life. God has blessed me. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I, I, I have blessing upon blessing that I don't deserve. I, I, I could sit here and just start spewing them out and naming them off. Things that we don't deserve. We get so caught up in things that we think we deserve. <clears throat> Listen, if God was fair... We don't want God to be fair. Because if God was fair, we'd all be in hell today. I mean, we don't deserve another breath. We don't deserve this earth he created for us. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve his son. We don't deserve the favors. We don't deserve the blessings. We don't deserve to be thankful. What right do I have to be thankful? Other than what God's done for me and through me to be thankful. Man, what I'm telling you, we just all need to take a moment and be like this every now and then. And I did. I took that moment and I'll be like that. So we'll join our regular podcast uh, uh, through the book of Revelation on the next time. But I wanted to share that with you. I, I really wasn't even planning on doing that today. Uh, but as I flipped to it and, and looked over there and read it, uh, I just couldn't not. I just couldn't not share it. So maybe that was for somebody today. Um, and again, uh, I want to point out um, we really need your prayers with Maddie. And, and, and listen, I know they, they've come to her and, and said the latest we've heard really, I think, is she's only got hours 
to a day, a couple of days left. Um, pray for her family. I mean, this is tough losing a child, any child. No, no child should be passing on before the parent. That's just not the natural order of things, you know. And and pray for her grandparents too. Uh, not only are they going to have to deal with the grief of losing a grandchild, they're going to have to deal with the grief of a daughter grieving, losing a child. <clears throat> that That's horrible. Um, but even in that, they know where she's going to be. And they can rejoice in that. And God's going to give them grace to get through this. That, that That's how he works. I mean, this is, this is his children. He's not going to let them suffer on their own. He's going to be right there. He's got his arms around them. And uh, so we pray for God's will in this. Um, maybe maybe she's going to hold on a little longer. Maybe she's got a, another testimony of witness to be to somebody else. I don't know. Have no idea. Or, or, or maybe it's going to be his view to just take her own out of here any day now, any minute now. But even so, it's the Lord's will. So we pray for that. Uh, so thank you for listening today. Um, I really hope you got something out of this today. It's not about what I'm thankful for. It's about what you're thankful for. And, and that's the way I want you to think about. What What are you thankful for? What do you have to be thankful for? <laughs> and I'm sure you can rattle off a whole bunch of stuff. We certainly have a lot. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, it's pollen, Lord of mercy. And it even rained heavy today, and i am still got it. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, thank you for listening today. And um, just God bless you and, and have a great day and just think on this message.